interesting topics to kick off your weekend. Looking at the news with an eye of faith. This is Friendly Fire with Stu Kearns on the Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Good Saturday morning. It's a Friendly Fire Saturday. Stu Kearns, your host. Glad to have you along. It is the very tail end of Holy Week. Uh, for those who follow such things, it's Holy Saturday. And uh, so uh, I hope you, you're having a good weekend. Uh, we had our services last night, and uh, they're a bit more uh, dark, so to speak. Uh, it's literally dark. It's a Tenebrae service. And then, uh, hey, there are going to be churches all over Lincoln who are going to be celebrating Resurrection Sunday. So I hope you, uh, if you're interested, I know there are churches that will welcome you. And we'll leave it at that. Uh, it's a privilege today to have in studio uh, Professor Tyler White. And I wanted someone to come in here and break down the situation in Ukraine with me. And uh, uh, Professor White was kind enough to <laughs> take time to get down here to Broadcast House and join me. And uh, so thanks, uh, uh, Tyler. Uh, yeah. Professor White, what do you prefer? Uh, you can just call me Tyler. That's okay. fine. It's the one thing I just can't stand is Mr. White. It's just, <laughs> I'll go by Tyler, Dr. White, whatever you want to call me, but Tyler's okay. fine. Well, you can call me yeah. Reverend Dr. Kearns. And I, no, you can call me Stu. <laughs> just kidding. Just teasing. You know, in fact, if somebody called me Reverend Dr. Kearns, I'd, I'd wonder, what do they want? Yeah, exactly. There's, there's what are they selling? What do you have? <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Um, now, you're a political science uh, professor at the University yep. of Nebraska. Yep. And uh, in fact, you were saying just this week you were discussing the Ukraine situation with your students. Yeah, you know, um, I, for whatever reason, decided that I didn't like my syllabus to my national security capstone course last semester. So I threw it away. And like a crazy person, I said, you know what, I think the return to great power politics is the thing that we should talk about. So I focused on Russia and China. Mm. And, you know, what is the world going to look like with the U.S., Russia and China over the next 30 years? Right. Mm -hmm. And um and so we got in and all of a sudden, you know, Ukraine obviously got really hot. And we spent a lot of time just as a class, you know, going through what's going on and, and, and you know, trying to get – I'm really interested in what people were thinking about mm -hmm. about the situation. And, and so we had the – we had a lot of stuff that we had on the syllabus. Mm -hmm. We had a lot of real interest in it. And so we just kind of started talking about it in class. Mm -hmm. We're – kind of back on the syllabus right now, but we just got done talking about where we are today in Ukraine just mm. uh, uh, just not too long ago. So yeah. it's fresh on the mind. That's great. That's great. Uh, so we're going to break down all things Ukraine, but first we always just want to get to know the guest a little bit. So uh, Tyler, where are, you, where are you from originally? I'm from Lincoln, Nebraska originally. No way. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, like, I love being on this kind of show um, because, you know, uh, uh, I, I was born and raised uh, in... Uh, St. Paul United Methodist Church, just uh, down the street from the broadcast house here. Um, and I taught Sunday school there. And, you know, we're enjoying services now that, you know, we're coming out of COVID again. So I've, I've, I'm a Lincoln homebody. Um, but, mm -hmm. you know, I, I kind of got involved and in, I knew I wanted to be in political science the minute I got into college. And I just kind of kept going and I kept trying to find reasons to leave Lincoln, but it's a pretty darn good place. So I just kind of stuck around, and I feel yes. pretty lucky to do what I do. I have had David Lux on this program. Uh, David married my wife and I, I so and he's a great friend. And uh -huh. so uh, I, 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 I'm sure he gave you a, a good and thoughtful show. I, I, absolutely. <laughs> the, now, but he he's since retired, I think, right? He did, yeah. Okay. Uh -huh. yeah. All right. So, But uh, St. Paul's one of the anchors of downtown there for, for yeah. I don't know how many 
100 plus years yeah yeah a long time long yeah, time and yeah. i remember them having that kind of discussion should we should we leave downtown and i you know as a I, I think i was a teenager at the time and i think that was definitely the desire to stay downtown and do the mission down there so yeah yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a beautiful spot uh so where now where'd you go to school then in lincoln yeah, so um, I, I kept getting moved around when I was uh, in elementary school, but I finished at Human Elementary, and then I went to Pound, and then I went to Southeast. What? Yeah. Southeast? Yeah. You know, I'm a Southeast grad. Oh, are you? Class of 80. Okay, so right. uh, a few years later, class of 99. <laughs> okay. Just a, just a few years later. Just a few I years mean, later, yeah. Technically, you, you are... You know, yeah. young enough to to be my son, but uh, <laughs> we won't we won't debate that or discuss that. The uh, I went a different path, Beatty, uh, Irving, and uh, Southeast. Sure, yeah, no, yeah, but those were good days in the late nineties being at, at Southeast. You know, we were yeah. like kind of good at everything. So yes, that and then they started all these other schools and right. You know, right. It was a conspiracy, yeah. I think. It, it is a conspiracy. <laughs> it is. A conspiracy. So did you do your undergrad then at the university or somewhere? Yeah, else? I did. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm uh, like I said, I'm not. Uh, I'm kind of a weird case in mm. that. Did my undergrad? Uh, I did grad school here, um, and then you know I was getting ready to go out and find a job at a small liberal arts college, but my my wife. Uh, I got engaged and got married. Actually, I met my wife um, in, at Southeast. I sat next to her alphabetically, uh-huh. and then we started dating in college. But uh-huh. um, but she had started up her own law firm right out of law school, and it was going well. And I wasn't mm-hmm. going to be the guy who was like, "All right, honey, let's let's leave." So I was just trying to find something to do, uh-huh. um, and I there was plenty of need um, uh-huh. for teaching and advising and all kinds of stuff at UNL. So I just kind of I kind of hung around and you know did my very best to make a case for further employment and it looks yeah. like I've been successful. So <laughs> I would, I would say so. That's, <laughs> that's awesome. The, you know, it's funny. I'm, I'm a weird duck that way too. I was raised in Lincoln and, and then now I've you know done work here in Lincoln yeah. with the, the church. I, I also taught at Southeast for a oh, few really? years, but I, before you were there, <laughs> it was, it was, uh, so yeah, there, there aren't that many people who've just like been lifers. Yeah, right. I kept like I, I like I said. I kept you know trying to find a reason to leave, and I just you know mm-hmm. it's Lincoln. Lincoln has what I, I what I what I guess I need. So um, yes. so I and I love I love Lincoln. I always say it's like one of the greatest places to come home to. Yeah. Right. I've I have had a great chance to see a lot of different places in the world, yeah. and um, I always love coming home. So yeah. You know, uh, G.K. Chesterton famously said, "The reason I go to France." is to come back to London. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, just, you appreciate it in a whole new way. Yeah, yeah. And, no, I uh, mean, I, I've, I've loved my, all the opportunities to go out and see things, and I, I love to travel. So yeah. this has been a, a rough patch, right, with COVID and everything for everybody. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, uh, Lincoln's, Lincoln's great, and it's grown in a lot of really good ways. So um, yes. as yeah. I'm raising a family, you know, it's, it's providing for them the way it provided for me, so I can't complain. That's awesome. So you have kids. I do. I've got a five-year-old and a nine-year-old. They're both boys, and they're you know, they're a lot, but I love them. They're they're great. It's like best part of the day is coming home and seeing them and asking them how they did at school and everything like that. Uh-huh. So yeah, uh, they got to make them talk. But yeah, they 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 do not need to be prodded. They oh, will. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Yes, all yeah, all my kids are grown, and so uh, it's a whole different stage of life, but. Uh, but it's great, it's great to have a home base here to come back to. Yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, um, we'll just kind of start our Ukraine conversation, and then we'll, we'll have to take a break here in a minute. But uh, just to open up the subject, uh, this it seems like Ukraine 
Okay, in an age where everything is so polarized, yeah. and everything is yeah. even. I was reading an article in the, in the Atlantic this week that just talked about it's not just polarizing between left and right; it's like within the left and within the right, yep. and yep. all these little sub fractures of everything that's going on. It seems like this has been one of the few things that that kind of across the board people have been somewhat unified about. Uh, what's your What's your explanation for that? Yeah, I mean, you can look everywhere and find uh, a million different reasons to be polarized. But um, one of the things I think that captures the imagination a little bit about Ukraine is that these big forces, I think, that uh, are exhausting uh, a lot of Americans right now seem relatively clear in mm -hmm. Ukraine, right? It's it's It couldn't be clearer when one country invades another country with the uh, the stated goal of taking it over, right? Mm -hmm. And that one country has its own will, yep. and its will is democratic, and it has um, its people are are unified behind this fight, and its its president has become a household name, and he seems kind of like the Churchill of the 21st century, you know, mm -hmm. at the moment. And so uh, he has charisma, and he's able to articulate the message, and I think a lot of people. You know, deep down, no matter how divided we are, most of us, I think, still do believe in that in that world of, of dem democracy and freedom. And you see a, a person in like Vladimir Putin who's trying to deny that to people. And I think yeah. that's why it's moving. It is interesting. The uh, the two Vladimir's facing <laughs> off one another. Vladimir and Volodymyr, right? Oh, OK. <laughs> well, Volodymyr is like the, the Ukrainian version of Vladimir. But yeah. Okay, but the same basic idea. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, you know it's funny. Nobody has compared uh, him to uh, Reagan yet, but I mean we did have an actor who was president, sure, and yeah. who had very good rhetorical skills. Yeah. Uh, so it's, I get the you know the the attack and being compared to Churchill, but there's also this other kind of you know tear you know tear down Mr. Yeah. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. The flair for the dramatic, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean no. that's that. That's a gift that's helpful, right? Oh, yeah. No, I think a lot of people have made the comment that, you know, one of the things that makes Zelensky so um, so effective right now is that he does have those skills, right? Mm -hmm. He does have the ability to understand emotion and to be able to convey his message in a way that makes sense. And, you know, we we hear him, you know, speaking to the English-speaking English world, the Western world. But I think some of the best things he's done has been aimed back at Russians. You know, mm -hmm. this is a guy who... Um, who got his start really kind of as a stand-up comedian traveling through Russia. Yeah. Uh, he's a native Russian speaker. You know, he sounds Russian. Mm. Um, and, you know, he got his start in the 90s, you know, touring clubs and stuff in Russia. Wow. And so he turns around and he says to the Russians, like, I know you, yeah. right? Because he does in a lot of ways. And yeah. so I think that link, that intimate link is is so important. And he's able to capitalize on that a little bit. To some extent, I mean, Let's be honest. The the polling, the the decent polling that's coming out of Russia, doesn't show that it's moved the needle a lot. In fact, a lot mm -hmm. of Russians do support the war and do support Vladimir Putin. Yeah. Um. But I do think he's got that. You're right. He's got that communication mm -hmm. ability that I think is really needed. So right person, right place, right time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to take our first break, and we're going to come back. Let's let's build on this. We're going to get a little bit of the background, and we'll kind of turn it sideways this way and that, try to understand it better. Uh, this is a Friendly Fire Saturday. Uh, Stu Kearns here talking to Professor Tyler White from the University of Nebraska. Glad to have you along. Freshen up the coffee. We're just getting started here on The Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Keeping the topics lively. 
the conversation civil. This is Friendly Fire with Stu Kurtz on the Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. We are back. It's a Friendly Fire Saturday talking with Professor Tyler White here from the University of Nebraska. And uh, and who uh, especially the, today's topic uh, is absolutely focused in on uh, Ukraine, trying to understand it better, uh, and uh, and looking at it from a, a variety of different angles. And um, one of those that we were talking before the break about uh, 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 Zelensky, Vladim- mm. Vladimir Zelensky. I'm going to butcher some names before this is through <laughs> today. Um, and his uh, what a peculiar background there. So he's, yeah. he's touring, doing stand-up comedy. He's making movies. Yeah. Uh, and then, and in fact, he makes he does. Was it a, a series or yeah, a movie? It's a series. That was about, yeah. about him being the president. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it's 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 uh, uh, art imitating life, and yeah. then life then imitating art, right? Yes. So um, you know, Ukraine has been uh, has been a fascinating place, really, since it became an independent country. And like a lot of those post-Soviet states, right, deals with a lot of corruption mm. and, you know, is definitely moving in the right direction, right? Corruption can still be endemic in places, but there's a national will, I think, to really clean some of that stuff up. Mm. And so Zelensky plays a teacher in this show who stands up and gives this great anti-corruption speech and it goes viral. And people decide, you know, we should elect that man president because that's what we need. The funny thing is, is that he wins, becomes president in real life and he wins by a greater majority than he wins in the television show right it's a couple points but you know yeah. it's still it's still something else yeah. so people in ukraine take a look at this character and identify with it and say you know that's what we need and you know he offers it sort of in real life and you know the thing about Zelensky now is of course we see him as this great leader and and he is um i i have a lot of respect for him um but his uh, you know his approval polls were not good in Ukraine mm. prior to the to the mm. uh, invasion, right? Yeah. I think it's I, I struggle to see anybody in the democratic world right now who's got really good high approval ratings. I mean, I guess Angela Merkel leaves with a very high approval rating. Yeah. Um, the last person who left, you know, with a high approval rating here was probably Barack Obama, at about sixty percent. But sixty percent—that's not great. Yeah. But the I think part of what's going on right now, and you mentioned polarization and all that kind of stuff, is mm-hmm. that there's so much debate over values and there's so much debate um, – there's so much informa- more information now than there ever has been before. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. not all that information is good information and not all that information is is there really to get you to think. Sometimes that information is there to think for you. Yeah. And so I think that's one of the problems that we, we run into in this modern world and maybe one of the reasons we're at our throats all the, all, all the time. But – as I said before, you know, Ukraine crystallizes in a lot of ways what the stakes are. And mm. from our perspective, I think who the good guys and the bad guys are. And Zelensky, I think, has done an amazing job of articulating yeah. that yeah. in a way that other people understand. Yeah. Now, uh, in this conversation, a lot of times people will uh, go back to Crimea. And I was yeah. that like in 2014? Two, 2014, yeah. And, and so just remind us of what happened in Crimea and how that maybe was a foreshadowing of what's happening now in Ukraine. Yeah, I mean, uh, all of this is tied directly to the rise and the, the rise of, a lot of, of of Vladimir Putin and the way he views the world and what he thinks his his role is as the Russian leader. And you know, he begins to sort of consolidate power. And I, I'd like to go back a few years before that sure. at the Munich uh, conference, where you know he. He comes out and he says, you know, we're done playing nice with the West. You know, the West is constantly trying to expand. And I want to put a pin, pin in that idea because I want to come back to that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but he says, you know, we're going to start looking out for Russian national interest. And Crimea is an interesting place because it's, you know, they fought a war over <laughs> the British and the Russians, you know, fight this war over it um, uh, a long time ago. But it is predominantly Russian, right? If Crimea holds a vote, which they did, and they they decide they want to go to Russia, it, it probably they probably decide to do that, you know, regardless. But the Russians, Putin says, I'm going to take it, right? And I'm gonna, and I'm also gonna I'm also gonna go out and intervene in these in these other places, Donetsk and Luhansk, which are these you know easternmost provinces in Ukraine. And by the way, that land, just to give you an idea. Those are like the steps. Those are the plains. It looks a lot like Nebraska and Kansas in that mm-hmm. in that area, right? Um, mm-hmm. Lots of wheat production, that kind of stuff. Um, and you know, at the time, I think uh, a lot of the people in his cabinet, um, director of CIA, and a couple of other folks, told Barack Obama, "Hey, look, you've got to like send in anti-tank weapons. You've got to do all these different kinds of things because that's the only thing that Putin will really understand." And he likes to go with sanctions instead, which I think, in in hindsight, is was the wrong decision because. Mm-hmm. Putin does go in. He does take. Uh, he does take uh, Crimea. They have that election, and he says it's legitimate, right? By your own standards, the West, right? Mm. They had an election to do this, but that puts Ukraine in this really awkward position. I think the whole thing about Ukraine is is that the Russians view it as rightfully theirs, mm. um, and this has been a long-standing issue. Uh, it dates way back, mm-hmm. way before even the Soviet Union to some extent, right? Yeah, um, and. You know, now we're in this position where uh, I think everything that Putin has done has led up to this moment where if he can't get Ukraine back, right, his mm. tenure will will look as though he left the big, the reassembling of the great Russian empire undone. Mm. So I think for him, the stakes are incredibly high. I think the, the inaction uh, under Obama probably encouraged him. But then, you know, with Trump, I, he, he felt like he had a free hand. He could do really what it, whatever he wanted because, um, you know, he had a very different American president under, under, under Trump. Mm-hmm. And now with, with Biden and all of these things, I think he had felt that the West is so divided um, and they're so weak that I can do whatever I want to. And I think to everyone's surprise, right, that turned out not to be true. On this issue. So to come full circle, right, Mm -hmm. the question is, why is everyone kind of on the same page? Because I think deep down, like, this was the fight we were always sort of preparing for. Mm -hmm. And then it actually happened. And, you know, we were sort of mentally prepared for that, um, whether we knew it or not. Mm -hmm. But Crimea, Donetsk, Luhansk, all these different places, those are uh, are, um, a side effect of Putin really worrying that the Ukraine would rather be a part of Europe than be a part of Russia mm. and push has come to shove and he's going to make it a part of Russia one way or the other. Now, funny, I had to, I had to look at my <laughs> maps to get a little geography here. Yeah. And again, when you look at the map, I, in my mind, it was, a, I, I had Ukraine a little bit further East and a little bit further South there. I mean, they're right there on yep. the Eastern edge of, of Europe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like they would be, you know, this is, this is this, uh, this, what the Russians call the the near abroad, right? Those are those former Russian, you know, areas mm-hmm. um, that they feel as though they have this natural control over. I taught a, a, a study abroad in Poland, and I love Poland, by the way. Uh, we were in Krakow, which if you've never been and you get a chance, go. It's absolutely gorgeous. A bunch of my students that, that were there, the foreign students, I had students from UNL, but the foreign students, a lot of them were Ukrainian. 
Mm. Um, and, you know, Ukraine is right next to Poland. Mm. And so, but the, the, the number of the, of Ukrainians you talk to, they speak perfect English, you know, they, mm. they're, they're trying to go as far West as they can. Um, really, really were making the push that Zelensky, I think, uh, finally represented in the color revolutions that came in the mid, the mid, uh, the mid teens, right? Mm. Really an attempt, a ground, a grassroots attempt by Ukrainians to move Ukraine to the West. And, you know, since Ukraine had had broken away from the Soviet Union, that had been the big debate, right? Is Ukraine pro-Russian or is it pro-Western? Mm. Um, and so this this attack on Ukraine has been a long time coming in a lot of ways. Mm. But the reason that it is is because it seems more and more apparent every day that the Ukrainians have chosen to go west. Mm. And what Putin has done has ensured that they will never look east again. Wow. Well, that's... That's an unintended consequence on his part. I think he's dealing with a lot of unintended consequences. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're taking another break here. Sure. We'll come right back here with uh, Tyler White. He's a professor at the University of Nebraska. And uh, tons of insight into what's happening in Ukraine. And uh, I, think, uh, I, I think we all want to know more. We're hungry. We want to really know what's going on there. And, and uh, we're giving a, have a great opportunity this morning with Professor White. Uh, hang tight. We'll be right back. Uh, don't forget, you're listening to The Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3. K-L-I-N. Interesting topics to kick off your weekend. Looking at the news with an eye of faith. Friendly Fire with Stu Kearns. 1499.3 K-L-I-N. We are back. It's Friendly Fire Saturday talking with Professor Tyler White here from the University of Nebraska and um, breaking down the situation in Ukraine today. And, and uh, one of the things that occurred to me when this invasion happened uh, into Ukraine again. Uh, a lot of us had to learn our geography a little bit. Realize that Ukraine butts up next to Poland, yep. and uh, and again the idea of just someone marching into another country uh, uh, with uh, unknown resistance. This time, a lot of resistance. Yeah. Um, and and that being kind of the the way that World War II got started with Hitler and Poland. Yeah. And then you've got uh, Poland now uh, receiving refugees from Ukraine. Yeah. Is there some kind of historical uh, irony or, or something there? I think the thing it's important to remember is that if you are Ukraine or Poland or Romania or Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, right, you are stuck in, always will be stuck between great powers. Mm. Um, and there's a shared trauma there. That's, I think, the, the best word to use, a shared national trauma of being mm. the land in which the elephants fight, right? Mm. You're the grass. Wow. Um, and Poles and and Ukrainians right now, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, just mixing today, um, you know, or prior to this, you know, of, of lots of Ukrainians in Poland and, and so on and so forth. Um, but I think there there is this shared trauma of constantly being worried about being invaded. And, mm-hmm. you know, this is one of the things that I that I think is is most frustrating about this situation. And that is that. You know, Vladimir Putin and Russians in general, I think, will tell you that, you know, they need this buffer zone and they need this is their space. They have the mm-hmm. they have should have control. Right. So, you know, there's there was a real policy of Russification, not just during the Soviet era, but prior whenever they had these big swaths of land, they're going into land that is not ethnically Russian. They mm-hmm. spend a lot of time and effort putting Russians in those places. Mm-hmm. Um, so today, there's a lot of, you know, you've probably heard of this, you know, Russian speaker versus Ukrainian speaker issue in, mm. in, in Ukraine. Same thing is in Romania and so on and so forth. 
And I think what Putin was was thinking was because he saw this in Donetsk and Luhansk was, oh, all these native Russian speakers, uh, they want to be a part of Russia, right? Mm. And he uses irredentism, which is what Hitler used, right? Hitler said, oh, look at these German speakers in in the Sudetenland, right? We need, we need to d- defend them because they're being taken advantage of, right? Mm. And that was a part, that was the thing that fed his desire to expand. Well, Putin's doing a very similar thing. The problem is that, you know, Poland and the Czech Republic and Slovakia and Romania and Bulgaria and Hungary and all these different places, um, they also are full of ethnic Hungarians and Poles and all this kind of stuff who -hmm. don't want to be a part of Russia anymore Mm -hmm. and they do not want to be under Russian influence. Mm -hmm. The Russians saw NATO expansion as a westward push to encroach upon Russia. Mm -hmm. The people who who were in that NATO expansion, those tranches of NATO expansion, they lobbied NATO long and hard to get in. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't after many years that we said, okay, you know, the Russians and Putin, I don't think think at all about their effect on others yeah. or the trauma history that those that mm-hmm. those states have and they see it purely as western imperialism yeah. and so i think you see that in ukraine i mean i think putin really does feel like every single move is a move against him even though mm. right all of these countries want nothing to do with being in the russian sphere of influence because of the way that they had been treated for so long yeah yeah uh, when you when you think about again this uh, uh, the history of that region and and, and this expansion and mm-hmm. the, whatever the Western imperialism, um, <laughs> there, okay, we were talking earlier early before we got started the fact that there is a context for this that you know as an American, right. you know, if we put something in on like a twenty year context, we think we've really done an amazing job, right? But but <laughs> we but and a hundred years is like oh that's just no one remembers that long. No, yeah. that's I mean. <laughs> You know, and in, in especially in this part of America where, you know, you don't, you know, we've only been a state for 150 years. Yeah. Uh, so when you start doing talking about hundreds of years yeah, yeah. and historical yeah. claims, put put that a little bit in context for our listeners in terms of Ukraine, Russia, that whole region and the kind of history that they have versus the, let's face it, the very recent kind of history we have yeah. here in North America as, as uh, you know, Americans. Yeah, it's funny, right? You walk through Europe and you like, you know, you walk into a building that's been there since the 1400s and here they're like, oh, it's a historical building. It was built in the 80s, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and all of a sudden I'm like, wow, I do feel old. Um, yeah. But uh, but you're right. So if we think about, if we think about uh, the Russian narratives, and the one thing I want to preface this is that narratives, the stories we tell ourselves about who we are and where we come from, they change a lot. They change over time, and oftentimes they're used for political purposes, mm-hmm. as they are here, right? Yep. If you, you know, if you are, you know, watching Putin a lot, and you catch the things he was talking about the other day, but prior to the invasion, he he said a whole bunch of things about Ukraine that just aren't true, mm. right? Uh, but but what he did say that I think rings true to a lot of Russians and him in particular is this narrative that Ukraine has always been a part of Russia, <clears throat> and that what and what the the Russian narrative is, is that the birthplace of the Russian people is in Ukraine, right? Mm. And Ukrainians, I think, a lot of times will be like, yeah, okay, that's fine. But then you left, you went to Russia, and we stayed here, and we're Ukrainian, right? Mm. Um, and there's this big battling of this narrative that goes back, you know, to 1100 or, you know, 1200, um, where, you know, they're they're trying to negotiate 
who owns that land, the claim to that land. Um, Kiev is much older than Moscow, right? Mm. And well, why do I say Kiev and not Kiev? Because Kiev is the <laughs> is the Ukrainian pronunciation. See, we we learned right? this, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> it was funny when we, my wife and I, uh, uh, took a a trip to. Um, Budapest. Yes. Which, There's Buddha and Pest, and together they are Budapest. Budapest. <laughs> yeah, I would have I would have said Budapest every time. Yeah. And uh, but you you learn so we're all learning about yeah, Eve yeah. and all these other places that we thought we knew were were Kiev or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Back to your story. Yeah. Well, I think but but I think that's a good expression of what what this is, right? I mean, for so long we talked about Kiev. Why? Because that's the Russian pronunciation. Because the narrative mm. is that. You know, Ukraine is a part of Russia. And, you know, certainly during the Soviet era, right? I mean, you had some of their leaders come from Ukraine, right? Mm. Um, I, I believe Khrushchev was Ukrainian. Mm. Um, but, you know, uh, Stalin was Georgian. Like, the one thing about the Soviet Union is that it did, I think, a better job of being more multi, multi-ethnic. Uh-huh. By, by nature, it sort of had to be. Yeah. Um, but today, you know, I don't see... I want to I want to clear up something I hear all the time, which is that Putin wants to go back to the USSR. That's not what he wants. He wants to go back to the czarist days. He is not a communist, mm. right? Um, he is a czar. That's the way he mm. sees himself. He wants that absolute power. I mean, even the during the communist days, they had a Politburo that voted. They raised their hands and made decisions that way. Mm-hmm. That Putin doesn't want that, right? Uh-huh. And so. I think the these different places are the places where he wants to compete and win. He thinks he can do it. Um, and the buzzsaw that I think he's run into in Ukraine is a surprise to him as much as he's being informed of what the, what, what the situation is. Um, and I think it's a surprise to a lot of other people. But if you talk to people who have worked with Ukrainians, particularly in the military, they will tell you they're not surprised mm. by how well the Ukrainians have responded. And I think that um, that narrative that I was talking about earlier, I think a lot of people assumed that you know, the Dnieper River runs right down the middle of, of Ukraine, right? And we oftentimes thought of the, the, the people on the eastern part of the Dnieper River being more Russian. And the people on the western part, um, you know, in, including Kiev to some extent and Lviv, that those are more Ukrainian. But what this war has shown us is that the people in the east feel Ukrainian. Mm. That they, they don't feel Russian. Even if yeah. they're native Russian speakers, they want to be Ukrainian after what Putin has done. So yeah. in a lot of ways, he has settled the narrative, but he settled it in a way that does not serve his own purposes. Yeah, that's – wow. I'm going to take one last break, and then when we come back, we're going to do a little shameless plug. <laughs> and, then, um, and then I want – every time a war takes place, again, as, as we become more technological, we, we see more, we know more, it's more instantaneous, and uh, – and just to explore that just a little bit with you. Sure. All sure. right. Let's take one last break here. It's a Friendly Fire Saturday on the 1499.3 KLIN. Bringing you local voices to break down the news of the week. Friendly Fire with Stu Kurds on the voice of Lincoln. 1499.3 KLIN. We are back. It's a Friendly Fire Saturday. I'm talking with Professor Tyler White here from the University of Nebraska. And uh, Tyler, it is that time of the program where we always do a shameless plug. So I don't know if you have any, <laughs> something you want to plug, but I say plug away. Okay. Well, uh, I'll, how, how about this? I'll plug our national security program um, mm. at the university. Uh, if you have someone who's a student or you're a student or you want to know more about how this works, uh, we have a, a small but mighty program at the University of Nebraska. And our goal is to train people to be good analysts and to find a spot 
uh, in the intelligence community, or uh, we, we're, we have a great partnership with the U.S. Strategic Command. Uh, bottom line is I want I, I and my colleagues want to train students to really see the world for what it is and to be able to make sense of it. And I think mm-hmm. we're living in this time and space that is incredibly confusing, uh, and there's so much coming at you. We want to help people discover the tools to be able to think critically mm-hmm. uh, for themselves, and that's what we're doing at the National Security Program over on over on campus. Now, is that an undergrad or a master's level? It is an undergrad program, and we will be rolling out a master's degree. Uh, it's wow. it's on it's on the books. Will be enacted uh, yeah. soon. We're going to have a four plus one program, so a student will be able to come in, do their undergrad, take one more year of grad courses, and leave with a master's degree. Wow. So that's a new program that will be stand stood up next year or the year after, and we're really excited about it. That That is very exciting. Yeah. That's, that's, that's cutting edge right there. I You know, I just got back from Washington, D.C., and I had dinner with about a dozen of my students from the last couple of years, all mm-hmm. of them working at three-letter agencies and uh, going to law school, working on the Hill, all those kinds of things. Wow. So we've got this nice pipeline for national service. Uh, so people yeah. who want to serve their country, uh, we've got a spot for them. That's awesome. That's awesome. My shameless plug is it's uh, it's the end of Holy Week. It's a Holy Saturday. Tomorrow is Easter. And uh, I just encourage you. Uh, you are very welcome at Zion, no doubt about that. But there are just churches all over Lincoln who will be celebrating uh, the resurrection. It's the high point of the Christian calendar. And uh, so uh, maybe you're not sure. And uh, a lot of people aren't sure about church anymore. Uh, it, with COVID, a lot of people just don't go. But uh, I, I'll just say this. Uh, online is not the same as in person. And I'll guarantee you there'll be some beautiful music, some friendly faces, uh, people who will greet you. And that you'll find that at dozens of places all around uh, Lincoln. Uh, take a chance. That's my shameless plug. Um, as we uh, wrap up this topic, one of the things that, uh, uh, okay, with each war now that we see, yeah. and now we see it, it's, you know, 24-hour news cycle. Yeah. And we've got, we've got reports coming in all the time. It, and so, and I know that the world, there are always horrible things happening in the world. It's, sure. It's a, it's a, you know, for those people who think they, they want to be God, uh, well, <laughs> to have that kind of awareness. Yeah, it would not be, the, yeah, not be fun. It's not a, it's, it's, a, it's, 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 it's a burden. Yeah. Uh, but having said that, it just, it just feels like we're seeing a level of depravity mm. in, in the Russian tactics yeah. of, of, of killing civilians, of, Clearly, civilian targets. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I guess a couple of questions related to that is: Is this typical Russian tactics? And number two, uh, is that a part of the outrage? And and uh, and I guess how do you hide that from your own people so that they don't realize that you're kind of a monster? Yeah. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of hard questions there. Um, mm-hmm. So let's start. Uh, one: Is it normal uh, for the Russian mil- military? It's probably normal. Um, this is something that, you know, I mean, obviously the Russians were kind of on our side in world war II, but, mm-hmm. um, and the Nazis had done equally terrible things to them. Yeah. Um, but there's so much written about, you know, sort of what the red army did, you know, not just to the, not just to the Germans, but, you know, their own POWs, there's eyewitness accounts of Americans that were in Ukraine at the time. They shipped them into Odessa and just shoot, shoot them all, mm. kill them all for cowardice because they were captured. Right. Mm. Um, this is this is something that's systemic. This is something that's you know we think is from a strategic cultural standpoint encouraged. Um, and the other thing too about the Russian military, I don't think people don't realize this. Like our military, we have officers, we have non-commissioned officers, and they're really the 
the straw that stirs the drink, right? Mm-hmm. They're the ones who do a lot of the hard work. And then we've got the, the enlisted folks. They don't have non-coms. So, mm-hmm. and they don't have enlisted folks. Most of, they have contract, but most of them are, 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 um, are people who are conscripted. I think it's okay to look at those pictures and be upset. And I think you should be upset when you see that because in a world that's as noisy as it is, we, we tend to lose our humanity a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's good to care. Um, and it's good to demand action, and it's good to write to your to your lawmakers and say this bothers me, and I want something done. Mm-hmm. That's okay, you know. I, I think about this a lot in terms of my own faith, and it bothers me to see suffering in the world, whether it's you know homelessness or war crimes or whatever. It it, it bothers me because mm-hmm. I, I want us to be called to do better things. Um, but yeah, I think this is one of those things where we all need to take a look, and we all need to bear witness. Because if we refuse to do that, like that's that's the word genocide is being used today mm. to describe what's going on. Yeah, um, and it demands our attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, one of the related to this, uh, one of the uh, arguments that was made has been made all from the very beginning is well, now now we don't want to escalate things. Yeah, because yeah, I uh, we, yeah. so we don't want to make things worse. You know, and he's got nukes and all those kind of things, but. But when we say these things out loud and leaders say these things, we don't want to escalate, then uh, for all the – my listeners know I'm, I wasn't a, and I'm not a Trump fan. But one of the X factors he had was being unpredictable. Yeah. And, and, and when we come out and say all the things we won't do yeah. for fear of escalation, it just seems to me like that plays into the Russian handbook. So I, I would take a different opinion of that, right? Um, the first thing is, is – the most important thing to remember is that Russia is a has more nuclear weapons than anybody else on Earth, mm. and that the worse this gets, this gets for Putin, the more dangerous he is. Mm. And we do not want to start closing off potential off ramps for him to take to save face. Yes, yes, because he could use his nuclear weapons. I mean, the 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 simmer to bang on a on a nuclear war that immer, that ends all life on Earth is mm-hmm. very short with him, mm. and he is a unilateral decision maker. So that idea of that X factor of being unpredictable, I think, is a really bad thing for, um, for us. For us, <laughs> yeah. I think I think we yeah. want to be as clear as we possibly can, and I, I think mm. I actually think that this administration has handled things so well. I am so surprised at how well they've handled it. But they've mm. been very clear. They're mm. very clear with their allies. But what they're also doing is they're allowing allies to go ahead and send stuff in, right? Mm. Which is kind of like, oh, we're not doing it. Yeah. But we won't we won't stop it, right? Which means yeah. that the case that the Russians might have to use against us gets difficult for even them to make. Mm-hmm. So, look, I mean, this might not be on the front of your front burner all the time thinking about this, but it is a front burner issue in the world and will continue to be so as this plays out. Who mm-hmm. would have thought that the Ukrainians would have a chance mm-hmm. to push the Russians out? Yeah, And if they do... What will Vladimir Putin do about that? Because that, that keeps me up at night a little bit. Wow. Okay, I didn't thought about it quite that way. <laughs> See, that's why we have Tyler here today, is we're trying to, we're trying to stretch, we're trying to understand things a little bit better. Um, this, uh, back to that Ukrainian, we just have a couple minutes left, but that Ukrainian will. Yeah. It, I've heard more than once from people being interviewed here, it's like it's either, it's either we're going to win or I'm going to die. Yeah. And that's the, the mindset that they have because uh, yeah. and that – I, I'm, that seems kind of uniquely Ukrainian right now. I'm not sure there are many other nations who would have that mindset. You know, it's a blessing and a curse. 
it's a blessing because they know who they are. Mm-hmm. And I look at I look at us being as divided as we are, and sometimes I wonder if we know who we are because we haven't had to struggle, mm-hmm. and now we're struggling against each other. Mm-hmm. And the Ukrainians have that sense of purpose, and mm-hmm. it is a terrible, a terrible occasion for them to have such a sense. Yeah, yeah. But they know who they are, and they are coming. These debates that have taken place in Ukraine for the last twenty years of which way to lean have been settled. Mm. They have been absolutely settled. We call and, this and, a moment of clarity, right? <laughs> and the and the debates that have taken yeah. place in in Eastern Europe and Central Europe about which way they should lean, those have been yeah. settled as well. Yeah, yeah. And it's sad that this is the way that it's being done. But yeah. you know, sometimes human beings learn through pain. Yes. One minute left. As a, as a as a pastor, again, I want people to pray. I want them to send money for relief and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And from a from a military standpoint. What do you think they need in order to actually? It seems like they have the will. They have some manpower. What what is, what would they actually need from a military standpoint to win? The reality is is that they need big heavy machinery, um, and I think that some of that's coming. Look, I mean, th- these are discussions we don't want to have to have because it means death. Yeah. It means killing. Yeah. Um, but listen to what the Ukrainians say. They'll tell you exactly what they need and figure out a way to get it to them in a way that keeps the Russians from blaming you from it. And I think yes. we're doing that right now. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, hey, thank you so much for taking time to be in here today. Oh, it's delightful, and, Stu. Thanks for having this conversation with me. Yeah, do you? Uh, and I, I assume again, you're uh, you're having these conversations with your students, and I would imagine this is some pretty engaging stuff. I mean, I, I they're probably interested. Yeah, I mean, I was a uh, I was a senior when we invaded Iraq, and I mm-hmm. I, I so appreciated the candor with which my professors uh, opened up discussion, and I hope I'm passing that on to yeah. to this generation. So, yeah. well, thanks for the conversation today. Yeah, thank you. You bet. I leave you always uh, saying as I always do to think about it, talk about it. We'll see you next week.